0: Okay, if you were here last week, you'll remember, I hope, that we began begun a sermon series in the book of Philemon, but it's holiday time, isn't it? It's August, and so many people are away this time of year, week here, week there, and so I'm appreciating that some of you were not here, were not present last Sunday morning for the start of the sermon series. So what are we dealing with? Like, what is, what's Philemon uh, all about. Um, well, this is a letter. So I'm sure you uh, picked up on. It's a letter about a man called Onesimus, and Onesimus is a slave who belongs to Philemon. But Onesimus has done wrong. You saw that, didn't you? It looks most likely that Onesimus has stolen from Philemon, his owner, and he's certainly run away. That's not the end of the story, though. Because on his travels, Onesimus encounters the apostle Paul, who was in jail in Rome. And through Paul's witness, something marvelous happens. This slave, this wicked slave Onesimus, he comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is saved. And what we've got in front of us here is a letter that Paul writes. He's got Onesimus by his side, doesn't he, in Rome. He writes a letter to philemon the owner of the slave and he implores philemon to welcome onesimus back and to do so as a brother in christ and i said this to you last week didn't i that it's a really intriguing and wonderful and i think overlooked uh, story in god's word well as i intimated a moment uh, or two ago our intention just now is quite simple we're going to look at the middle section the real body of this book. So from verse 8 to 16, to concentrate on that. And I think the first heading, the first point that we we see that we're shown here is this. We see in that middle section the importance of gospel reconciliation. And be very careful, what I mean by that is the importance of disputing Christians, warring Christians, forgiving each other and being reconciled brought into a a loving relationship the importance of gospel reconciliation now i think we see that in a couple of ways we're shown that by god in a couple of ways here so i'm just going to chuck a subheading at you and hopefully you can catch it put in your pocket uh, just now we see the importance of reconciliation quite simply in paul's approach in this letter his approach the way Paul approaches Philemon. So that was a mouthful. We're ready for this. Yes? Are we? Good. Okay. Now um sure you agree in recent years a lot has been written um, and spoken about effective leadership. Isn't it? Isn't that a sort of buzz subject, effective leadership? That's certainly the case in the church, a lot written about leadership in the church. But you probably agree with me that you hear that in the office or you hear that at work, effective leader. What do people do? They want to train people well, they want to bring people along with them, build a good team, effective leaders. It's all over the shop, isn't it today? Well, I don't think anything that has been written is as enlightening about leadership as what Paul does here because Let's remember, what is Paul trying to achieve, friends? What does he try to achieve? He wants Philemon to welcome Onesimus back. You consider with me, though, his approach. What does Paul not do? Is this not the case? He does not command Philemon. To look at verse 8 with me here. Look at verse 8. Let's get right into the, the heart of it. Like Paul effectively says in verse 8, he, he says to Philemon, Look, Philemon! I could instruct you to forgive this I could tell you, Philemon, you've, you've got a welcome Anis, back. You've, I could do that, but I'm not going to do it. Now, hopefully everyone in here, we understand why Paul would be legitimate and allowed to command Philemon. Who was Paul? An apostle of God, like he's, he's writing here, you realize, don't you, this letter with the full authority of Almighty, so he could totally command Bilemon, forgive this guy and bring him back into your house and love him. He could command him, he doesn't do it. What does he do instead? Did you notice in verse nine? Man, look at verse nine. The apostle of God says in verse nine, I'm Not going to command you, I would prefer to appeal to you. Now hear me please. I think this appeal that Paul writes in this middle section is utterly wonderful. And I've had to study it this week, as you can imagine. It is ingenious. It is so clever. It's so beautiful, this appeal. So I just want to pick it apart a little bit and show you a little bit about it. First of all, did you notice the basis of the appeal in verse 8? And Paul says, I'm appealing to you, Philemon, for love's sake. Now, if you were here last week, Uh, do you realize what he's talking about there, for love's sake? Do you remember last week? You know, Do you remember the closeness of the Christian community? Remember the koinonia and the fellowship and the love? He knows, doesn't he, that Philemon loves that stuff. He cares for that stuff. You see what Paul's saying. He says, oh, bring him back. Forgive Anismas for the unity of the church, for the love of the church, for the fellowship of the church. You see it? Why this appeal for love's sake? Then do you notice as well, it's really, really personal. I was almost laughing at verse 9 because it's like Paul refers to himself as a bit of an old codger in verse 9. Doesn't it? With respect, of course. You see what he says? He says to Philemon, I'm an old man. I'm an old man in prison. You see it? It's as though he's, he's saying to this man, look, if I in my elderly years, my advanced years can endure chains imprisonment for the Lord Jesus as an old man, then surely, Philemon, you can forgive this guy, this brother in Christ, and bring him home. Do you see how it's so personal? But then best of all, do you notice that he invokes the very providence of God? I think there's a verse that stands out. It's verse 15. I think if you if you, if you you read it carefully when Gabriel was reading it out, I think you'll agree it's a really fascinating verse, verse 15. I just want to give you a second to look at it. Even the boys and the girls. Can you look at that? Verse 15. We'll just read it. Look what Paul says. He says, For Philemon, this is perhaps why Onesimus was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back. Now, do you see why it's fascinating? Do you see what Paul is doing there? Paul is pointing Philemon to the providence of God, isn't he? Don't you think so? He's saying, perhaps, Philemon, this was God's plan all along. Perhaps God had planned from eternity past to use Esimus' sin, not just to bring him to Christ, but perhaps it was God's plan to use this to bring him into a deeper relationship with you. He even evokes the... Providence of Almighty God. Are you with me this morning or not? Isn't it the appeal? Isn't it wonderful and genius? Isn't it clever? Isn't it compelling? But then don't we have a question? Why bother to appeal? Because I don't know some of you in here this morning, some of you are visiting, maybe your employers, like maybe you have trained someone in the past have you gone through that difficulty you've tried to train someone up on something maybe your parents perhaps maybe your grandparents even if so you know this to be true it is much easier to command someone to do something Than it is to convince them to buy into your plan. Isn't it? Especially parents. You know that's much easier to instruct a child to go and do it. Than to convince them. To have them buy into is Isn't it easier to do that? To command and convince. Why does Paul do this? Like why not just say Philemon. Welcome him. Forgive him. Why? Why? This huge appeal Do you see the answer Christian friend? It is this. Paul knows that real reconciliation has to happen here now please listen paul knows that warring christians disputing christians that they bring the witness and the reputation of the church and, and the disrepute they affect the witness of the church and paul knows that if he commands philemon of that is it then this forgiveness might not be forthcoming you realize that, don't you? If he just commands him, then, then he, okay, he might bring him home, but it'll be grudging. The forgiveness might not be forthcoming. So what does he do? Paul knows this is so important. He makes this wonderful appeal. Friends, what do we see? We see the importance of reconciliation in the approach and the appeal. But I said two things. So the second part of it is this. We see the importance of reconciliation in this. The fact that Paul does not deal directly with the evils of slavery. You get that, boys and girls? You've got a blank to fill in. Don't you? The importance of reconciliation in the fact that Paul doesn't deal with the evils of slavery. I think we know as Christians that a common objection to the Bible from those outside the church is the apparent, and I stress that word, the apparent lack of a clear condemnation of slavery. Um, Race relations are a a real hot topic, aren't they, in this country? And in the States and elsewhere, race relations. And uh, so we often hear this, I hear this, that if God was really good, if he truly was real and good, then the Bible would clearly, concisely denounce slavery as an institution or slavery in all of its forms. You heard that opposition to Scripture? Perhaps you have. Well, let's take that seriously. I mean, let's face facts. You and I have in our hands a book that is dealing with a slave so why does Paul in this letter not spend the majority of the letter denouncing slavery? Why does he not make a big deal of seeing how abhorrent slavery is? Why does not he do that? Well, I'll make a couple of very quick preliminary points before I get to the heart of the matter. I think the first thing we've got to deal with is this, that what we have here is a far cry from the sort of slavery that you and I might be imagining just now. Can I ask you what you think of when you hear of slavery? What do you think of? I mean, are we not, even in this country, so conditioned by the atrocities that were committed in the States a hundred years ago, a couple of hundred years ago? What do you think of when you think of slavery? i tell you what I think of when I hear of slavery. I think of plantations in the southern states. Is that maybe what you think of? You think cotton fields and, 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 and that sort of thing. Well, what I need you to understand is that though horrendous i mean though awful what we've got in the first century here in glossy in was in no way comparable with those atrocities in, in, in the new world do you see where i'm coming from please tell me you, you see where i'm coming from that in the roman world that, that though it was awful and it was terrible that slaves were very often respected that, yes, there was abuses. I mean, it's the ancient world. Of course there were abuses. But did you know this? That slaves could rise up the ranks in the Roman Empire. Slaves could be professionals in the Roman Empire. So we're talking about doctors here. don't know about musicians. But there could be doctors. Or there could be librarians and so forth. I mean, slaves could actually buy their way out of slavery. Do, 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 do you see it? It was awful. It was terrible. But it was not the... Lifelong barbaric institution that often springs to mind, and you maybe noticed what the ESV did. Did you notice it? The ESV does not call on a slave, it calls him a bond servant. It's desperate for you and I to to see. There's a difference. It's not the same type of slavery that we're thinking of. And that's a preliminary point that we've got to make. Here's another one. For Paul in this letter to Philema to call for abolition would have seemed absolutely insane absolutely i uh i'm going to give you a statistic just i'm not a man for my statistics but i was struck by this you think about this at the time in the ancient world in the roman empire nearly a third of people at one stage were regarded as slaves transplant that into london a third of people Like, what does that mean? That means that most people were either owning slaves or slaves. So do you see, if the Roman Empire was absolutely founded upon this institution, like for Paul in this letter to call for abolition of slavery, not only would it have seemed utterly insane, it would just seem crazy, crazy doing, but it would also, because of that, be detrimental to the spread of the gospel and the growth of the church. But then this leads me to the main point here. Okay, so what's this question we're asking? We're asking, why does Paul not call for abolition? Well, I want to say this, and I don't want you to shoot me or attack me later on. Listen, Paul doesn't call for abolition because, friends, he had a bigger fish to fry. He's got a bigger fish to fry. What happens if you go to the doctors this week? What do you want the doctor to do? Do you want the doctor to deal with the symptoms? Or do you want the doctor to get right to the heart and the causes of what has made you ill? Like I say, you've got you've got a bad infection. I don't bad infection. There's lots of symptoms. You want to go to the doctor, you sit in the doctor's office and the doctor looks at you and says, Okay, here's a hanky for your runny nose. And see you later. Do you want that? Or do you want the doctor to give you medicine that will clear it up, to give you antibiotics that will rid you of that action? The answer is obvious. We could ask the kids, but it would be so obvious. We don't just want the symptoms dealt with. We want the cause and the heart of the problem dealt with. Do we not? And don't you see? Isn't that what Paul the apostle is all about here? Isn't it? We must understand that his mission to the Gentiles was not... Ha! It was not to deal with societal problems! Was it? His mission from God was not to potter about with little problems and community problems and society. What was, what was in view for Paul? It was the heart, the cause of the, the real health problem for humanity and what was that? Slavery? Maybe? But slavery to sin? And so you can see what Paul is prioritizing here. He desperately wants Philemon and Onesimus reconciled. Why? So that the gospel will go out unhindered. That people will will, will see a unified church. That they will be able to witness effectively to the Lord Jesus Christ. That people will see, will look on, will understand, will hear. And be healed from the greatest illness that affects all people. You understand what we've got here? We see the importance of Christians... Being reconciled, brought together, how, in his approach, but also in what Paul does not see. And that leaves this. I now have to, we have to apply this truth, this reconciliation. How do we do this as a church, friends, brothers and sisters? How do we apply this? Do you know what we could do, I think? I think you and I could stress the importance of us, on occasion, acting in the way that Paul acts in this letter. The importance sometimes of you and me, especially if we are mature Christians, or we are office bearers, or especially if we are elders, sometimes if we see Christians who are fighting and in speed of going to them and graciously, gently trying to bring brothers and sisters who are fighting together in the Lord Jesus Christ and and reconciling them to do as Paul does here. We could focus on that. Instead, this morning, I want to speak to you directly. So not the person you are sat next to. And not to the children, and and, and not to the person behind, but to you. And I want to ask you this question. Please hear it. Are you in dispute with a fellow Christian. I mean, is there a, a brother and sister of the Lord Jesus Christ. That you are truly today. Struggling to forgive. And it has been going on. And been going on. And going on. Then is this book. Is this word here from God. Not for you. Is it not time today to revisit that relationship. That situation. And to revisit in light of what the forgiveness that you yourself have received from God we're shown first of all here the importance of gospel reconciliation now I'm getting old evidently I'm getting old, the glasses are new, a big birthday later this year which I won't tell you what it is but I'm getting old because I've forgotten to say something to you as well Um, It's maybe going to be music to your ears. Uh, I forgot to say that there's not three points to the sermon. There's not four points to the sermon this morning. There there are but two. Uh, So secondly, um, we see the extent of gospel transformation. The extent, boys and girls, make sure you get it, extent of gospel transformation. Now, I think as a pastor of a church that one of the biggest problems that you and i face in the christian walk now listen one of the biggest biggest errors that we make as christians is losing sight of what god has already done for us in our hearts like i would would love to take a survey of this in the church but I, i doubt very many of us have had huge big dramatic conversion experiences like maybe some have, but uh, in a church, a reformed church like this, many have been brought up in faith. I doubt there's that m- many Damascus Road accounts uh, in front of me. Now, because of that, do you see what can happen? Because there hasn't been this just incredible moment in our, our lives, we can lose sight of the utterly seismic change that has taken place. The utterly incredible transformation that God has wrought at a point in your heart. We can lose sight of it. We can lose trace of it. Well, yes, this is about reconciliation. But what else happens here? Onesimus has been saved. Onesimus has come to faith. So as in this letter, Paul appeals for him and he pleads for Onesimus. Do you know what what you're given? You're given little glimpses into the transformation that has happened in Onesimus' life. And I just want to very briefly just mention two things we're showing about Onesimus. And it should excite you. And I'll tell you why this should be exciting. Because these two things have happened to you. If you're a Christian in here. This has happened to you. So the first thing is this. We see Onesimus's change in status. His change in status. Now you can maybe imagine what a lot of my week has been like. Can you? Can um, this week, I have been reading a lot about slavery in the Roman Empire. I've been forced to do it by Paul. reading about slaves in Rome. And I think, you know, the thing that has really struck me the most is the perilous situation of runaway slaves. Because we're thinking about slavery, and maybe you're thinking, oh, it must have been terrible to be a slave. <laughs> right? Well, you justify. If you, yeah, it's a terrible thing to be a slave. Believe me when I'm I'm telling you, friend, that was nothing compared to being a runaway slave. Like, see, the Romans were so keen that a culture of runaways wouldn't develop. Do you know what they did? They set up huge punishments for slaves that ran away and were caught. And you want to hear this, because I found it dramatic. I'm sure you will as well. If you were a runaway slave and you were caught, do you know what would most likely happen? If you were caught, you would be branded on the forehead. Letters branded permanently into your forehead to warn people that you were a risk of flight. If that didn't happen, do you know what other people did? They would torture runaway slaves who were caught. Or, listen, they were crucified. They were crucified. Now, in light of that, can you walk with me in imagining Onesimus? I mean, immediately he runs away from Philemon. Do you see what happens to him? Just instantaneously, he is the lowest of the low, isn't he? I mean, he's got absolutely, he's an outlaw, right? I mean, he's just nothing. He's just absolutely nothing. He's left with with, with no friends. He has to hide in Rome. Like the most populous city in the Roman Empire. He's got to hide in the crowds. He can't speak to anyone about this, lest they turn him in. Can you imagine it? I can you imagine how fearful Onesimus is and the anxiety of it? And then what happens? By God's beautiful providence, he comes across a Christian and he is brought to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the point. Now look at verse 10 and how Paul speaks about this man in verse 10. He was nothing and Paul says, I appeal to you for my, what's the word, my child. Next bit, he calls himself his father. Then verse 16, look at how Philemon is spoken of. He is Onesimus' brother. Do you see it? He has been given, by God's grace, a new identity and a new status in Christ. Before, Onesimus had nothing. There was just a sea of fear and anxiety and lostness and darkness. Now what does he have? His brothers in Christ. And he has sisters in Christ around him. And he has mothers in Christ. He has fathers in Christ. He has, he has everything. Do you see it? This is a man who is living out the reality. No matter what you were. And no matter what you have done. That now in Jesus Christ we enjoy equality. And we are valued by the Lord God eternal. The reality that there is no slave or free we are all equal in Christ Jesus. So there's a new status. But then the second side of it said two sides of the coin. We also see Onesimus' change in capabilities. I think um, we all in here, because we're a multicultural church, we all know this to be true, that different countries around the world have negative stereotypes associated with them, don't they? Most countries in the world have got some sort of weird negative stereo. I've got, I've got to be really careful with what where I go next, don't I? Um, negative stereotypes associated with countries. I'll play it safe, and um, we'll go f- to Scotland uh, first of all. Uh, so, I, I, I would ask you, uh, what are the negative stereotypes of the Scots? But there's a lot, <laughs> so we get many different answers to that question. But let's take the fact that the Scots are most unfairly uh, branded as being uh, tight-fisted when it comes to money. The stingy Scots, there's one negative stereotype. What about the English? The English are sometimes portrayed as being too reserved, are they not? Other nations, I don't know, brash. Some other nations are oh, they're unfriendly people, that sort of idea. We get the idea, do we? It leads somewhere. Because what I want you to appreciate is that Onesimus the slave was from a place called Phrygia. Phrygia. What was the negative stereotype of that region? It was this. It was proverbial at the time that Phrygian slaves were rubbish. Absolutely Hopeless. They were useless. They were Phrygian. You've got a Phrygian slave. They are just pathetic and a waste of time. Now you bear that in mind, and have a look at verse eleven and what Paul says of Onesimus. Did you see it in verse eleven? He writes to Philemon and says, "Formerly Onesimus was useless to you, but now he is indeed." useful to you and to me surely in reference you think don't you to their gospel work now you must understand as the ESV footnote tells that is a play in words because Onesimus's name in the Greek means useful but do you hear what Paul is saying to Philemon he's saying yeah the slave used to be rubbish." And he was, I mean, he was I'm mean, i sure, lazy and, and, and hopeless and unfaithful to you, evidenced by the fact that he's run away. But Paul's saying he's been changed by grace. And this man, such as God's work in his heart, is now a spiritually useful man. He's useful. And Paul's saying he's useful to me. Paul's saying I wish, in a sense, I could keep him. He's useful to you, Philemon. He can do such gospel work in Colossae. He's useful to our God, you see. And if anything this morning, Christian friend, is that that I want you to take home with you. To see your capabilities. To see how useful you are to the Lord your God this, this morning. You understand as you sit there in, in your chair, you understand your heart has been changed, don't you? You just reflect on it. You were st- own. You're now flesh in, in Christ Jesus. And, and think for a second of what you were. Do you realize what you were before your regeneration? You were useless. I mean, we were all ineffective, weren't we? Like before we came to Christ, nothing we did was of value. Isn't that a dramatic thing? Like no matter how charitable it was, no matter how valuable we thought it was, how generous it was, outside of the Lord Jesus, because of the sin in our hearts, it was spiritually worthless, wasn't it? But now look at us and just see what you are capable of. Like now every single tiny act of service in this church, no matter how insignificant it seems to you, it is meaningful eternally. Isn't that amazing? Your attempts to witness to that neighbor or the colleague. Your attempts to love the church here. These things store up for you riches in heaven. They are looked on by God as being meaningful to God. As being useful to the kingdom of his son. And I do not know about you. I tell you this, from my point of view, I think that should spur us on in the Christian life. Do you see what has been done? Do you see how transformed you are? You've got a new identity. You're lost no more, in chains no more. We have a new status and we are capable of eternally valuable acts of service to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is surely a cause for motivation, for joy and i am going to I am going to end with this, I promise you, but I need to speak to the people in here who are yet to come to Christ in repentance and faith, those who perhaps maybe are even on the threshold of the kingdom of God, but who are yet to rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder where you are this morning. Would you listen to me? I wonder if Today you feel as Onesimus must have done as he encountered Paul. Lost. Does that sum it up? Feel at sea, that fear, that anxiety, yet hearing, what? Hearing of a salvation, hearing of a hope and a freedom. And maybe you're in the church wondering, why are these people making so much of Jesus? Like what is it that the Lord Jesus Christ has done that can affect such eternal salvation? Well, I, I wonder this. If you this morning see the parallel between the gospel and the letter you have in your hands, do you see the parallel between the gospel and the letter? What happens in the letter? You have Onesimus the slave, and he is a rebel. And he is an outcast, isn't he, friend? And he has no status at all. And he is separated from his master. And he is not where he should be. And there is a desire for restoration. And there is a desire for forgiveness. And I ask you this question. How does this reconciliation come about? It all comes about because of Paul's letter, doesn't it? It's all based on what Paul does, his intercession, his pleading for Onesimus. That's how reconciliation comes about. And so I say, do you, friend, in here, not see what Christ has done? Do you not see Christ's work for the church in that? Because what were we? We were outlaws, and we were rebels. We were at sea. We were separated from our Master, our God. We were spiritually not where we should be. We were runaways. And what has the Lord Jesus Christ done for his church? For you. He has interceded, hasn't he? He has worked on your behalf. He has pleaded for you. And how did he do it? Was it a letter? Is that why we worship the Lord Jesus Christ? No. You, you all know where we must go. That the eternal Son of God has become a slave. He has become a slave for his church. He has lived in a way that we could not live. He has humiliated himself to do that he has borne our sin our punishment but the lord jesus christ is risen today so friend if you are desiring salvation today if you see your need understand it is not found in the world it is not found in another religion it is not found in the law it is not found in a, a change of lifestyle Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, confess your sin, and this morning join the church as we seek to provide useful service to the Lord Jesus. We seek to provide useful service to not just our God, but the God who sets the captives free. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we have much, as we look at Philemon, much to confess. We see throughout your word how you treasure the unity of your church. We see even Jesus' command as we come to the altar to go, if we have something against our brother to be reconciled first of all. And Lord, we are to forgive. And so we ask, Lord God, if there are Uh, relationships with brethren that are not as they should be in this church and we pray that you would help in reconciliation but we thank you for the transforming work of the gospel we thank you so much our eternal god that you have wrought great change in the hearts of your people and that today we stand justified because of the work of the lord jesus christ we ask that you would help us to make that known to make the beauty and the truth of reconciliation through Christ known, not just in a deeper way in this church, not just to our children, but to this suffering city that is at sea and is fearing and anxious, all that the Lord Jesus Christ in his name will be eternally praised. So we do pray these things in Jesus' name, our Redeemer. Amen.